the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Westwood One's Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Joining me this week, my very special guest, is Don Dawkin from the band Dawkin, obviously. The new album is called Return to the East Live 2016, and it features Wild Mick Brown, Jeff Pilson, and George Lentz, otherwise known as the classic lineup of Dawkin. And I guess... I guess as we get older, is, is Mick Brown still wild, or is he just Mick Brown at this point? And um, on the other side, I come back with Jeff Pilson of Foreigner and Dawkins, but mostly Foreigner. And we talk about their Foreigner with the 21st Century Symphony Orchestra and Chorus DVD and CD that comes out later this year. And we talk about the Foreigner Whitesnake John, or sorry, Jason Bonham evening. Ah, so much to, to cover. And, uh, of course, on the phone with me right now is, you know, I'm going to have to call you at this point a co-host, Mr. Alan Niven. How are you? Well, that's very generous of you. I'm very well and, and I, uh, enjoying, yeah. enjoying a nice sunny day in Arizona. And, yes, Mick Brown is still wild. He usually has a fifth in his hand when you see him. <laughs> yes, there is. But, see... I think we have time for co-hosting duties because as a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, myself, and you as a fan of the Arizona Coyotes, there's really not much to do these days but to get on the phone and just talk rock because <laughs> there's nothing to watch in terms of our wonderful, wonderful teams. And uh, by the way, congratulations on your appearance on the Appetite for Distortion podcast with Brandon. That has made headlines all over the world and that is always a good thing when talking um, headlines and podcasts and bands um don well, dawkin I, I thank you for the introduction to brandon who i found to be a good interviewer um somebody who listens and who's prepared to have the patience to go into something a little more substantial than the usual usual rock and roll interview so it was a pleasure to talk to him yeah, and it, it really has sort of set the the world on fire. But all right, let's let us get into our two favorites here, Don Dawkins and Jeff Pilson. You of course have had a chance to know them on a very different level, not just a business level or a rock on the rise or touring kind of level. You actually lived on Don Dawkins' infamous couch, the couch that creates stars, as he likes to call it. Um what was it like, sort of, in the early days with Don and the boys? Well, first of all, just for the sake of the pure historical accuracy, um, I didn't sleep on a couch. I had my own bed in my own bedroom. But uh, it was an interesting time because Michael Wagner would be uh, staying with us sometimes when he came over from Germany. And uh, I'd often find Michael devouring huge amounts of macaroni and cheese um, while Don and I were going out to the high dining of Jacques Le Box. Um, but it, it, it's interesting to look back and remember that and think, oh, my God, the three of us, we actually got somewhere and sold a few records. I mean, if you, if, if you look at Michael's career and Don's career and, and what we did, that was, that was a, a potent little household, I suppose. Yeah, it really was. Now, the band is back together for this Return to the East Live, Don, George, uh, Mick, and Jeff. 
Did you think that we would ever see that again coming in 2016 when this the tour took place and now 2018 the album's coming out? I mean, well, what made these four guys together so special? It's the chemistry of the moment in time. And the cynic within me would go, well, if somebody offers enough money, I think you're going to find that people will come back together. But what I like to think is, even though that may be the driving force at a particular moment, I'd like to think that when they get on the stage, they reignite something of that initial chemistry that made them a cool band or a good band or an entertaining band when they were initially together. Yeah. Now, uh, with Don, we had a chance to speak about his effect on you, or may I call it even a mentorship? Is that is that too too uh, too strong of a word? But but Don certainly played an important part in your musical path, right? Um, he talked about the songwriting process and how he helped you sort of create songs and how he creates songs. Is that sort of the 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 sum of it all? Was he just a I helped. Alan write a couple of songs or did he have sort of a larger impact on you professionally? Oh, he had a, uh, a tremendous impact on me in that um, I'd never really spent time in the studio until I started uh, living with Don and uh, doing things, um, doing recordings with him and Great White. Um, so I was very much a sponge learning a new craft for me recording in a studio and I learned an, uh, an awful lot from Don and from Michael Wagner too um, and I learned an awful lot both on the positive and the negative because after a while I started to look at some things and go these are positives and these are things you should do and oh here are a couple of things that maybe I won't do um, so it was a, a tremendous learning experience all, all around for me and it was, it was a very interesting time. And, you know, I like to think that uh, the fact that um, Don and Mick and I and my Swedish wife were living together in, in a house in the South Bay um, gave the local rockers a little bit more of a, a cachet, um, having an, an, a little bit of European and Scandian influence in the house. So, you know, maybe they they got a little bit of something from us too, but... Very definitely, uh, meeting Don Dawkins was one of those relationships that you look back in your life and go, that was critical. Did you and Don, because he helped you with some songwriting or he, or he sort of pointed out, you know, here's how you should, did you actually work together in a professional capacity? Are there Alan and Don Dawkins unreleased songs or, or, or demos or did you ever... No, we, 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 we didn't write or compose together. He and Michael produced and engineered the very first Great White recordings. Um, so in that respect, we worked, worked together. But he and I did not actually sit down and write songs together. And there, were, there, was, there was one interesting period when he was doing what was essentially his first solo record. And I'd stopped by his house on the way back from my office almost on a daily basis to hear what he was writing and what he was doing and hear his demos. And he'd play me what he'd, he'd composed and play me his demos. And I'd just look at him and go, you've got a great record here. This is just going to be a really good Dawkins record. Um, and then I learned something interesting when I watched the continuation of the process in that uh, I think it's fair to say they spent a f too long recording and became 
too cerebral and too thoughtful. And in that respect, maybe lost some, some of the energy and viscerality that the original demos had. And the record was not the one that I thought that was going to be made. Um, and there was a clear lesson to me there as well in that I think it's a dangerous thing for artists to produce themselves because they have to switch between the objective and the subjective on a dime. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And my recommendation is, is if you're recording and you're an artist, find somebody you can trust who can give you the responses that the performances require and stay in a state of mind where you're merely concentrating on your performance rather than trying to evaluate it immediately after you've given it. Um, Oh, I agree. I've always felt that an artist, and, and I look at KISS as my example, you just need outside ears because it is very, very difficult sometimes you know, or you look you look at Injustice for All, where Lars had a, lar- a, a great control over the sound, and it's like, y- yeah, you you can't you, you have to have that 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 separation. And whenever you create something, you usually think, well, that was really good, or you think, well, that was really bad, and that doesn't really move the ball forward. And, and so now you're talking about Up from the Ashes on this one, right? That 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 record you're talking about. It, is that the name of his first so, solo record? Well, the one that came out in 1990. Yeah, that. That's the one yeah. that had Mickey yeah, D and Peter Baltes yeah. and yes, yes. So I mean, because yeah. I mean that that album is actually very much revered by fans. So so you're you're saying that the the demo stage or the 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 pre finished stage there was sort of more meat to the bone magic. on those. Oh. It was hmm? more magic, more vitality. It flowed better. It was less considered. You see and. And I think that's what makes music, especially from the 70s and early 80s, so special is when you look at uh, Black Sabbath, who had whatever it was, nine hours or 12 hours to put out the first album. There's no chance to tinker with the magic and you just capture that, that, that the spirit in a bottle have kind you, of thing. Yeah. Have you ever heard the demos, the Black Sabbath demo, demos for that initial recording? Yes. They're more, they are more magical. Well, and I would suggest also having heard, you know, on YouTube and stuff, there's all the pre-Use uh, Your Illusion demos for November Rain. There's a spirit there that I think got a little watered down. And even some of the early Chinese democracy stuff that leaked out had a certain flair. And, and sometimes you just over, you know, you, just because you put more sauce on, on, on the poutine doesn't make it a better poutine, right? It's Sorry, I had to bring out the Montrealer in there. But... Yeah, we well, need part of the process. Part of the process of being a, a a worthwhile producer is to know which mistakes to keep, and less is more sometimes too. But uh, there we yeah, go. Exactly. Uh, you know, I have an infallible way of knowing if something's right in the studio. If I hear something and my arms break out in goosebumps, which they do in certain moments in recording and I just get covered in goosebumps, that's a moment when I go, that's it, do not touch it. If it can affect me that physically and viscerally, viscerally, yeah. then, then that's it. Don't, don't screw with it. Um, you, you can, I mean, 
one thing I used to do with uh, people in the studio when I felt that they were getting tight and cerebral and too self-conscious of their performance, I'd put them in the car and I'd drive them down to the beach. And they would always think that I'm just taking them down to get some sea air, clear their heads, settle them down. But I was being just a little more crafty than that because I'd always play the same kind of music while we were driving down to the beach. And we'd talk for a little bit and then I'd turn around and say, what are we listening to? And they'd turn around to me and they'd go, it's the Beatles, isn't it? Of course it's the Beatles. And I'd say, yeah. Now I want you to apply your studio analysis to what we're listening to. Listen for the mistakes, listen for the things that aren't right, listen for the things that are out of time. And you'd see this look come across their face as they objectively analyze and they go, oh my God, that's off there. And this tempo is moving here. And, and I turn around and say, exactly. It's imperfect, but within its imperfection is the perfection of a performance that moves you and connects to you, and it feels fantastic. Now, let's go back to the studio and loosen up. Yeah, I agree, and I have a great example of this. Nikki Six had a band called 58, and they put out an album called Diet for a New America back in 2000. And the demos had floated around 98, 99, and it was just this incredible, incredible rock record. And if you can find those demos online, I, I guarantee go check them out. But when the album came out, it was filled with all kinds of unnecessary background noise and loops. And I don't know what they were doing, but the purity of those songs and the purity of the performance was so no longer there that you just went, oh, well, that's too bad. But the demos for 58, wow. I mean, and, and sometimes you just got to let a song be a song without having to overthink it um so there we go Let, without overthinking anything else let's get back to the east return to the east with dawkin new album featuring the classic lineup of don dawkin george lynch jeff pilson and as alan said the still wild nick brown here is don dawkin we are speaking with don dawkin of course front man and lead singer of the band dawkin the new album is return to the east live 2016 featuring what is referred to as the classic lineup with uh, George Lynch, Mick Brown, and Jeff Pilson. Don, always, always a pleasure to uh, to have a chat with you. Yeah, how you doing, Mitch? Good, good, doing great. And, you know, Frontier's record has been kind enough to send me an advance of this package. And the song It's Another Day and those two uh, studio bonus acoustic tracks, Heaven Sent and Will the Sunrise, are so fantastic. I mean, to answer this question for me first. Is the Heaven Sent and Will the, Ro Will the Sunrise, I should say, are they left over from back in the day, or did you re-record them or record them for this particular package? No, we re-recorded re them. So, so talk to me about the events leading up to, these, to the four guys getting together, because it has, of course, through the years been talked about, and fans have mentioned it. And tell me about the actual culmination of getting you guys out there, I think it was in South Dakota first for that first show, and then over to Japan for these uh, for these shows. Well, it just happened to be timing. You know, Jeff plays in Foreigner, and George has KXM and Lynch Mob and other projects, and none of us could ever really get the four of us in one 
enough downtime to commit ourselves to rehearsing, doing a show in America for a warm-up, and then going to Japan for a week and a half. And just We just couldn't do it. So it just the stars aligned, and we talked, and we noticed there was a window in October last year, and so it happened. How did you uh, feel about the experience? Because as a fan, I know I sat back sort of with a giddy smile and went, yeah. Uh, how was it for you? Because, you know, the current band with John Levin sounds great, plays great. Uh, the shows are great. Um, how was it for you to, to sort of step away from the current band and go back to the to the past? Well, I mean, you know, wasn't like stepping back we did play together a long time and uh we're just a lot we're just older now <laughs> but yeah john's been in the band 22 years so you know i'm used to my current lineup and uh we've done a lot of records together like four and so you know stepping back it wasn't that difficult you know we all get along fine these days and all the stuff whatever happened in the 80s was a long time ago it's all water to the bridge yeah it really is and, and i'm glad for that uh Talk to me about the current album, because if I'm not mistaken, I think I'm calling you in the studio right now. Is what's the progress, or the, or sort of the 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 four one one on a new album with with John and and the current lineup? Um, Chris, John, and Mick and I were done basically writing. We have about thirteen or fourteen songs that I finally just finished up. They're finished now. I'm just finishing up the lyrics, final lyric changes. You know, then I'm going to start. So that's why I'm kind of husky today. I've been singing, 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 singing. So, uh, and we had two concerts just 24 hours ago. So um, I'm just going to sing the demos. And then same thing. We have, we're on tour constantly. We're booked all the way to August. So, But we're going to try to have a break. I think we've set aside three weeks in uh, March or April where we're going to go in and cut the album for real. And we're, I'd like I'd like in the perfect world to have it out for midsummer. In terms of uh, sound, are you trying to capture sort of that? Is it going to be what Dawkins sort of does, or are you trying to sort of push the band to new territory with the new album? No, actually, we're going old school. Okay, classic sound. You know, I I thought about it. We talked about it. You know, there's been some departures and adventurous songwriting on Broken Bones, a little Zeppelin feel, a little Beatles feel. But uh, I'm kind of going just to the way I wrote on all the other Dawkins records. So it's, it's probably going to sound a bit classic Dawkins sounding, I guess I can call it. Yeah, which is what I'm looking forward to. And, and uh, Long Way Home was one of those albums that had a departure of the sound, had a very more sort of Beatlesque, Yardbird-ish kind of thing. And I really enjoyed that one. Um, yesterday... I was talking to Alan Niven, a former manager for Guns N' Roses and uh, Great White, that, of course, you lived with for a while. He credited you with sort of teaching him about the, the business and especially teaching him about songwriting. I'm just curious, what is sort of your memory of those days? Because he, he was exceptionally complimentary about how I learned everything about songwriting from Don Dawkin. Um just talk to me about those days and, and what it was like uh, with Alan before before you were Don Dawkins and before he was the manager of Guns N' Roses. Well, it was early days, and, uh, you know, I I had actually I found Great White in a garage rehearsing in Orange County. 
and uh, I went out to see them, and there was just a band playing around town. And so I thought, you know, they had some good songs, they needed some work, and uh, so I did a demo with them, and I got them a record deal on Enigma Records at the time. And Alan was working for Enigma Records at the time. So when I took him the songs, he, he, I think, if I remember correctly, he liked the band so much that he quit his job at Enigma just to manage uh, Great White full time. This was about, you know, a year and a half before he picked up uh, Guns N' Roses. And uh, that was the time. He, we were roommates. I mean, we hadn't, I, hadn't, I had no success then. You know, we'd done Breaking the Chains. I'd done a U.S. tour. You know, we came home. We were really broke. Everybody, Jeff, George, Mick, and I, we were all broke. We all had roommates uh, so we could pay our rent. But I was a writer, so when I took Great White into the studio, you know, Alan would be in the studio every day, and and he'd ask me just questions like, why do you want to change this, and why do you want to change that? And But I just basically, what I guess I taught him was, you know, when it comes to lyrics, you don't have... Everything doesn't have to rhyme. It's what they call false rhyming. If you say, baby, I'm so sad and blue, it's really easy to say, can't live without you. Blue, you, it all rhymes. And a lot of, a lot of musicians or singers I've heard in the past, they, they write like that. But I prefer to write what I call an anti-rhyme and still get the point across. But it's still, as far as nouns, verbs, you know, pronouns, there's ways to make things sound to your ear, like it rhymes, get the same point across lyrically without just saying, miss you, babe, it was such a day, the night came too slow, miss you, mo, you know. <clears throat> so I was just giving them examples of my writing, like, let's see, uh, um, I can't give an example. Um, the Hunter, classic example, doesn't right. rhyme. I'm the hunter on these lonely streets, uh, searching for love again. Will ever find peace of mind, a mind again. None of those last words rhyme. They, none of them rhyme, but it works. Sometimes you put the rhyming word in the middle of the lyric. Sometimes you'll put the rhyme at the first word, the second lyric. And that just makes, for me, in my opinion, the songs more interesting. I think a lot of bands in the 80s were just doing that... Uh, you know, rhyme and reason kind of lyric because we were young and we were, you know, we were young and naive and we didn't have a lot of experience. And, uh, you know, so that's just the way I wrote. So I just kind of tried to show Alan what, where my head was at, you know, and how I thought songs should go and they don't have to always rhyme. And, and then I just kind of taught him about structure, you know, uh, at the time in the eighties, you know, the, those days, radio stations didn't want a song more than four, four minutes, 15 seconds. That was, who came up with that idea? Don't know. But they, you know, we'd have a song, they say, well, make sure it's not longer than four minutes and 15 seconds. Well, if you haven't said everything you have to say, it's kind of hard to start chopping up your song and ruin it, you know? So, um, you know, I'm sure you've seen a million records back in the 70s and 80s, and it said the edited version, the radio version, because we cut things down. Case in point, too high to fly and dysfunctional. It was nine minutes long. We had to cut it down to four and a half. So I had to, I had to cut out a whole verse. But this is just things I talked with Alan with. And I guess he just, you know, watched me do my thing. But I can't really, I appreciate him giving me a lot of credit. But 
I think he learned a lot from Michael Wagner too, because Michael Wagner was a great engineer, still is a great engineer. That's why I drug him over here from Germany when I met him in 1979 on my first uh, European tour. I met Michael in a studio and I said, you should come to America, you'd be famous. And uh, he did, and he got famous. And, and he also lived on my couch. <laughs> the famous uh, A&R guy, uh, John Kolodner, he'd always say, you should have never sold that couch, Don. Everybody that sleeps on your couch gets famous <laughs> and rich. <laughs> And I said, yeah, that couch had the magic touch, that couch. Alan slept on it, and Michael Wagner slept on it, and Jack Russell slept on it, and, you know, everybody slept on that couch because we were roughing it. Right. But I, I appreciate Alan, uh, you know, giving me the credit. I just, I don't know if I taught him anything. I just teach him little things like, you know, why do you put the kick drum mic, you know, off to the left and not right in the middle and because the sound bounces up the side of the, you know, the wood of the kick drum and things like that. Has, and I, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say for you personally, though, your songwriting, has it changed at all since those early days? Has it evolved at all since those early days? Has it, you know, do you see it very differently now or sort of you, you, you have this, and I don't want to say a formula, but you have your way and it's worked for you, obviously. And, I'm going to just sort of stick to that because look at the track record. You know, how has your songwriting yeah. progressed? Well, I hope it doesn't. I hope it's progressed. I mean, you know, uh, you know, the world changes. Everything changes and you see the world differently. And you take those, the way you see the world through your eyes. The way I saw my the world through my eyes at 27 are not the same at 37 or 47. So I hope you know, it would change and evolve. I mean, uh, I don't think the Beatles would have wanted to keep writing She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah on every record. You know, the Beatles are a classic example of their first album, Meet the Beatles, and then Sgt. Pepper, White Album, Revolver. You know, the Beatles were rapidly, you know, always changing, 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 changing. And that's what made it interesting, I think, for people in the Beatles. Their songs were evolving in a qu very quick pace. But that's how you, you know, it's all about just growing o older and growing up and seeing the world and things that happened to you in your life. So I hope it evolved. You know, I mean, I couldn't, I honestly, I can't imagine me trying to write another break in the chains about living in my apartment with no money and no food and trying to escape the situation I'm in and trying to make a living as a musician. That that whole song is about that. But obviously I couldn't write that now because I'm not in that situation. So, so then who were your songwriter influences? Because, you know, Alan does credit you for helping him learn his craft. Where did you sort of learn your craft from? Was it necessarily just the Beatles? Was it everybody? Did you have a mentor that sat in your living room and said, Don... You should try this. So how do how did you get to where you were able to teach Alan? I had no mentor. Okay. It was strictly trial and error. Okay. I, I I didn't. Nobody told me anything. I just wrote. I write differently. What I would do usually, I have thoughts, and I'd always write my thoughts down on a little peachy folder, and I just write poems and lyrics and ideas, and I just write my thoughts. Unfortunately, they always come to me between two o'clock in the morning, four in the morning when I get to go pee. <laughs> so I'd grab my little folder before the days of portable tape recorders and I'd write my thoughts down. And over 10 years, the book filled up. 
And the boys used to call it, uh, if we got stuck on a lyric or a song, or I needed some words, or I was missing something, and they'd always reference, they'd say, well, go get the Book of Dawn, you know, go through your pages, look at the Book of Dawn. And so I just started thumbing through the lyrics, thumbing through the lyrics, you know, and, uh, and I come across something, oh, that's pretty cool. That's a nice little thing I wrote. That, that seems to fit what I'm writing about right now in a more poetic way. And, uh, you know, so I just write stuff down. I still do that every day almost. Luckily, we have uh, iPhones now. My iPhone is just about full on my recording app. It's just chock full of me humming and singing and talking into it, saying blah, blah, blah. Uh, case in point, last night, you know, I was I was some, watching something, and uh, I, came, I had this idea in my head about thought we would look to the sky and drink that color blue. Now, that sounds a little esoteric, but it's my way of saying I thought we would see the world the same way, you know? So we'd look to the sky, see the color, and drink that color blue. So I just put it down on my tape recorder, and but that conjures up for me an image, a thought. Instead of saying, probably when I was 27 or 8, I would have said, uh, you know, I thought we'd be together forever and we'd always say to each other, never, never. You know, it's a little uh, adolescent. Yeah, but it, but it works. Um, just quickly here, because I, I know I'm, I'm cutting into your studio time, so we'll make this quick. But Up From the Ashes came out in 1990. Uh, Peter Baltes now in Accept, Mickey D, of course, now in The Scorpions, uh, John Norm, Europe. That album just absolutely phenomenal. 18 years later, you put out Solitary. Is there a chance that you might do another um, solo album? And, and sort of why was Up From The Ashes sort of this one one off and you didn't come back, you know, three years later? And Because you look at songs like Mirror, Mirror, Crash and Burn, Thousand Miles. I mean, just fantastic stuff. And the players on it. Just what a band. Just, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I felt pressured, you know. Um, here I'd come out of this world famous band and now the band's broken up. And then there were some legalities that I couldn't use my last name, Dawkins. It was a legal issue. So, I mean, up from the ashes should have been called Dawkins. But I couldn't, you know, so I had to call it Don Dawkins. It wasn't a solo album. It was just another incarnation of Dawkins. So I thought, well, you know, Jordan was a guitar hero, and, you know, and I needed some great players. And I just thought, you know, John Norm's amazing. And then at the last minute, I found this. 18-year-old kid, Billy White, out of Austin, Texas. It was like this phenomenal guitar player that was totally different than John. John was more of that European-style Michael Schenker school of Michael Schenker and Uli Rode and all that. And Billy comes into the band with this Stevie Ray Bond kind of vibe, you know. So I thought, well, we'll get two guitar players, and then we'll have more diversity. And yeah, it was a great album. But again, it's timing. That album came out. Uh, right when the whole grunge thing was hitting, you know, in 91, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana, all those bands were hitting the airwaves and the, the musical styles were changing. And I had done what I thought was a classic straight up rock and roll record. And I think we got a little stigmatized, like, oh, Doc and Don, Don, that's the 80s guys, you know, they're a hair band. I hate that term, hair band. And, you know, so we kind of just couldn't survive the change in taste you know 
know, so that's why that album, hey, it did good. Sold almost a half a million copies, but it didn't sell multi-platinum like the previous talking records. And the reason we didn't continue was because I was, got despondent. You know, I was just like, I just felt like the hell with it. You know, I, I put a lot of blood and sweat and tears in that record. And I just figured, what's the point? So I took a break. And so, you know, Peter went off to do his thing, and John Norman went off to do his thing. Billy became a monk, and, uh, you know, and Mickey D went off to Motorhead. And so we all kind of went our separate ways. That's the reason why we didn't continue on. But it's such a great album. It, 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 I would love to see more of those songs sort of filter into the set list or, you know, a Dawkins set list or even a, a solo show or something, because there's just some, some great, great material there. Um, I know we said 20 minutes. So I'll just quickly uh, wrap up here. Uh, George Lynch said that he was hoping for more classic Dawkins shows in 2019. And uh, obviously, I would love to see that, too. Is that something you would like to see? And I'll just quickly insert a part B. A lot of bands are talking about farewell tours. Where do you sort of see yourself in that realm? I mean, is that discussion sort of starting to pop up where you're saying, yeah, you know, it's we've got five more years to go here? Or how do you see yourself in, in that? Probably retired. But then again, you look at people. Look, Chuck Berry was still performing at 92. <laughs> You know, uh, right. Paul McCartney was you know seventy five. Yep. You know, Al- Alice Cooper is seventy. <laughs> Alice is seventy. Uh, Mick Jagger is in his seventies. There's a lot of people in their seventies. Right. So I can't predict the future. You know, we all got to be grateful with all the stupid things we all did: drugs, alcohol. You know, uh, riding my motorcycle at 120 miles an hour. You know, down the freeway, just assuming that the tire wasn't going to blow out. I'm grateful to be here still. So uh, I don't know what the future holds. As far as a Dock and Reunion original lineup, it's not on the radar for me. I'm only focused on the current lineup and the next record. You know, I can't think that far down the road. You know, all I care about is putting out a new Dock and record with John Levin and Chris McCarville and Wild McBrown, and that's going to be it. As far as reunion shows, quote-unquote, I can't imagine why uh, Jeff would want to leave Foreigner you know, he's got a great gig there. If we were going to do it, I think it would be obvious why we would do those shows, probably for the money. Yeah, but and that's that's, that's fair. That's fair to say. I mean, you know, uh, I would love to be in a position where I could put four guys together and make the money that a dock and, you know, reunion would make. Um, and, that's and a lot I, of money. You know what, I know what we're worth. And I, we've had those offers been coming to me for years, like crazy amounts of money to play. But I just thought, I don't, I don't have the desire right now. We did the Japan tour 20 years later, and, you know, we did a reunion. We did a video. We did a DVD. We wrote a new song, a couple of remakes, acoustic. That should have to appease the fans until I decide what to do. But right now, I'm just going to focus on the new, next docking record. I'm sure everybody's got a lot of stuff on their plate. But like you said, George, you know, and it says maybe in 2019, we have a standing offer from Frontiers record to do my next Dawkins album and a Dawkins you know, original lineup record, but it's it's way down the line. I just it's not on my radar. Yeah, one thing at a time. And speaking as a fan, I will just say uh, just a big thank you to John Levin because he's really kept the spirit of the band and and the spirit of the songs alive it, that whole time that he's been in the band, and he's just been he, just a perfect fit. And, uh, you know, kudos on you for picking him up and kudos on him for, for delivering 
the you know at the shows I've seen, it's it's just been you know you know good on John. So so thank you for that, and thank you for today. Yeah. I, but uh, yeah. what a happy accident with John. I mean, he was a, he was my attorney, <laughs> and and I, and how he got in the band was I was just in the studio one day working on uh, a record, and John came down for some legal papers for me to sign or something, and and had to get a suit and tie on, and I said, you know. Jeff said he plays guitar, and you know, I remembered he'd been in uh, Warlock with Dora Pesh, and I said, hey, would you like to burn some souls on this song for fun? And he did. And I said, huh, you're really amazing guitar player. And the next thing we know, you know, a year later, we started, he came in the band. Yeah, and it's and it's been great since. Uh, yeah, you, you've As, always surrounded yourself with great musicians, from George to John to Jeff to, to Mick. To, you've you've just always had a, an ear to pick the best of the best. So so good on that, and uh, thank you. And I'll let you I'll let you get back to making the new Doc and record because I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> yeah, I know. So thank you. thank you. Have a good one. We'll do this again soon. Bye bye, Mitch. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. There you have it, folks, my interview with Don Dock, and I certainly hope you enjoyed that. And, Alan, uh, Don had some really kind words for you there, didn't he? Oh, do you say that with surprise? Um, yes. No. I, I, will, I will tell you that um, there's professional and persona um, but I knew Don as just Don, the person I lived with, and he's a really—he's actually a really, really good soul, and a caring person, and very entertaining to live with. I'm sure you can imagine that with uh, Wild Mick Brown, Don Dork, and myself, and Bobby Blotzer living right next door, we had some good times. His public and private personas have always been very different. I've known Don since about. 95 or 96 we email each other we phone each other and he's always been the nicest most agreeable amenable person like this interview uh, that that you just heard it didn't go through the whole machinery i sent on an email and said hey do you want to chat and literally within 10 minutes he said yeah let's just do it tomorrow and he's always done that 2013 i did the uh, Kiss tribute a world with heroes that of course had your uh, protege Chris Buck on it and I asked Don I said hey would you cut a, a vocal for the song Cold Gin he said yes yeah, send over the music and literally two hours later he had the whole thing done so he really does have this kind soul and this he just you know he's a nice guy back back in the day he was very helpful obviously there's a sense yeah. that some musicians are wickedly competitive um i came across great white because don told me i had to go and see this band dante fox and gary holland had played with him in germany and was now the drummer in dante fox and he was just looking to help everybody get ahead which is indic- indicative of his soul yeah. he was he, he was somebody who was connective and uh, Maybe he was a little bit of puppet master, but he definitely liked to put people together and make things happen. Yeah, and and like he told us a story about Michael Wagner coming over and stuff like that. So, no, great guy. I've I've always enjoyed and loved Don and and Doc and the band, of course. Uh, the, speaking of Doc and the band, we have Jeff Pilson coming up, but he is also 
in Foreigner. They are on tour. Uh, they are coming to Canada in March or the end of March with Chilliwack, of all things. You must know Chilliwack, right? My Girl and all those wonderful bands. Well, my God, um, I haven't heard that name since probably 1979. But yes, <laughs> I know Chilliwack. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they'll be here. And then um, what else is he doing? Oh, yes, they're doing the, the tour with Whitesnake and the Jason Bonham Evening no longer an experience it is now an entire evening which is which is going to be great and so the, we talk about that stuff and foreigner with the 21st century symphony orchestra and chorus which i've mentioned a couple of times already great package coming out at the end of i guess it's april it's coming out and that will be another wonderful wonderful thing so jeff did did you know jeff pilson the same way that you knew don doc and did you was he part of the the entourage that hung around in the studio and he showed you stuff or sort of what's your connection to Mr. Pilsen? Uh, I used to see Jeff uh, almost exclusively in the studio. And uh, it would be interesting to hear what he was playing. It would, be, uh, it would be cool to sit and talk with him. The thing I really liked about Jeff was that he was a perfect example of the fact that you don't have to be an alcohol and chemical driven monster to be a bona fide rock and roller. He personifies the fact that being a, a cool musician, uh, a cool rock and roller, if we want to put it into that cliche, uh, is a matter of the spirit and the intellect. And he leads an incredibly clean life and led an incredibly clean life then. So we didn't see him very often at the parties over at the house. But my God, when he got in there and he put his bass on, he played with fire and accuracy and that just goes to show that the whole idea that you have to be suffering with your addictions to be valid is absurd all yeah. you have to do is have the right spirit yeah and he, he's also a, a wonderful studio maven i mean he can play every instrument he can turn on every machine and get it rock and he he really is to me in most of the bands that he's been part of the heart and soul I mean, if as long as Jeff is going well, the band is going well. And it, it also is amazing to me that he went from a arena act with Dawkins over to an arena act with Foreigner. I mean, he didn't have to go through the I'm playing to 30 people in a club kind of thing. It, it really speaks to his ability to fit in and be a team player. And it, I mean, it really is something unique to go from Dawkins to Foreigner and, and not have to, to spend, you know, Years well, on. Yes, Go ahead. Yes, yes, and no. Um, in some respects, it's not a huge jump to go from Dawkins to Foreigner, but what I think is an interesting jump is I would have absolutely no reserve whatsoever in recommending to a young band that they try and get Jeff to be their producer because he can connect to the essence of the song as opposed to being one of those those musician producers who tends to put their thumbnail on it or or they can't help themselves but impinge themselves. I think he has the quality that is essential in a good producer of being able to recognize what's unique and interesting about the band you're recording. I think, I, I think Jeff has got a future as a really excellent producer. 
Oh, I really do too. And of course, uh, he is back for this Doc and Release Return to the East Live 2016. And it is uh, very exciting to, to hear him and his bass lines and his vocals, his backing vocals back in the mix with this band. Um, before I forget, at the end of the episode, normally we listen to the second interview and the show just ends and it's we'll see you next week. But this week, I have got a previously unreleased original recording from an 80s band recorded back in the 1980s. I won't tell you who. I won't tell you what the name of the song is. I will keep that for another episode. But I will invite you to tweet me at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And I invite you to tell me who you think the artist is, if you can venture a guess at what the song title might be, but also, did you or didn't you like the song? And I am going to tell you right now, you are going to absolutely love this song. It is monumental. The vocals are soaring. The guitars are equally soaring, if not soaring higher above. It is just a masterpiece. So stick to the end of the Jeff Pilsen interview and listen to this unreleased or previously unreleased demo from an 80s band. Head over to Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, and then let's have a discussion. Did you? Didn't you? Who is it? What is it? Uh, and we'll uh, we'll play a little game, and then I will reveal it on a later episode. And uh, without further ado, here is the one, the only, the always affable Jeff Pilsen. We are speaking with Jeff Pilsen from Dokken and foreigner or formerly of doc and we should say jeff always always a great pleasure well it's a pleasure for me as well mitch you're you're the best yes well uh, well am i supposed to say yes to that <laughs> probably not but you're thank supposed you. to say thank you but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes thank you uh so so there's yeah. a lot of exciting news um I'm going to start off with Foreigner first, and we'll sort of go between both bands. But one thing that's really exciting is this Foreigner White Snake Jason Bonham tour. I mean, the amount yeah. of hits that a fan is going to see between a White Snake set and a Foreigner set, and I, and I'm not, I don't I don't mean to put Jeff uh, Jason on the side there, but wow! <laughs> so so talk yeah, to me well, about that pairing first. <laughs> I mean, yes, the hits. The hits are one thing. There's no question. There's just a chock full night of that. But then the great songs and the great bands. I mean, for one thing, if you haven't seen Jason's Led Zeppelin Evening, it's amazing. They play it so great. He, I mean, seriously, they sound like Led Zeppelin at their peak. It's unbelievable. It's so great. And the sounds, you know, a lot of it has come, comes down to the sounds. You know, because of technology now, they can really they can make it sound right. And it just sounds so good. I love listening to those guys. They're all great and they're friends. So it's wonderful. White snake. I've been wanting us to tour with, with them for years. I love white snake. I mean, I'm a huge white snake fan personally. I just, I love David's voice. I love the band. I love the music. I love the direction. And, uh, so, I mean, and plus they're, they're all friends. So what an amazing night it's going to be songs, fun, Everything. It's going to be insane. Oh, it's going to be spectacular. So, so let me ask you this then, as a White Snake fan, are you more partial sort of to the sort of 1985 and previous when it was more blues rock, sort of a more deep purplish Aerosmith thing, or do you like the the big MTV hits? Because I, I have my moments. You know, one summer I'm going to be oh, all man. about the big hair and the big songs, and then the other, like last summer, I just walked around with the headphones and. And it was just all about 
walking in the shadow of the blues and all the old stuff. So yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I, um, I too, am. I, I actually like both, but for different reasons. Um, to me, love ain't no stranger is one of my favorite all time songs. So I just, to me, I just love that song. I love, and you know, slide it in for that matter too. That record just had some of the most amazing stuff. Just not, not, oh, actually, I didn't mean slide it in. I meant, uh, I, although I like that song, but uh, Slow and Easy is the one I meant that I just, that's done. right. Slow and Easy and Love Ain't no, no Stranger, some of the best rock songs of the 80s, as far as I'm concerned. And then when you have Still in the Night, I'll never forget the first day I ever heard Still in the Night. I was at a radio station in Phoenix doing some promotion. And they said, oh, you got to hear this, this new song by Whitesnake we just got. I said, oh, really? Yeah, I'd love to hear that. And they put on Still in the Night. And after the interview, I said, I have to have, I'm going to steal this record from you because I have to take this home and go play along with it for hours. And I did. I took it home and played with it all night long. <laughs> I had to learn the song and I had to play it. Uh, I adore that. I think White Still in the Night is one of the greatest masterpieces of the 80s. Oh, isn't song. it though? It's, it's um, so perfect. And, and you know, and of course, I do. I mean, I I do love, isn't it? This love and all that stuff. I love that stuff. Um, my least favorite song is probably "Here I Go Again," although I still think that's a great song too. But I mean, I I just I dearly love White Snake, and yes, the early Deep Purple influence stuff. I love it dearly, but I think they strike the right balance, and them playing an hour is going to be a power packed hour that's going to be tough for us to follow. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be that, and and. You know, I got to tell you, I like the Here I Go Again from the Saints and Sinners album, the one that has the, the lyric, uh, I'm a hobo rather than a drifter. That, that's my version. Um, let's move over here quickly to, to, to actually, no, you know, uh, you're also doing a quick short run with Foreigner up here in Canada. And what I find amazing is that you have got old Canadian band Chilliwack, right? My girl is going to be opening for you. How? How exciting is that to have Chilliwack come out and, and open well, for some foreign You know events? why it's really exciting for me is because I'm from Seattle. And the drummer for Chilliwack back in the day was a guy from uh, uh, the band in Seattle that was like the, you know, the, the big, the big, the big band in Seattle. And um, <laughs> all of a sudden I'm forgetting their name. <laughs> Holy crap. I can't remember. It's because they've been gone, gone, gone. Name. They've been gone so long that we can't remember their names. Right. That's, that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I guess so. I, I'm totally spacing. Anyway, remember the singer's name was Bobby Marcy and the drummer's name was Rick something anyway, right. but they, uh, I, he was the drummer for Chilliwack. So I'm aware of Chilliwack have been for 40 some years. Um, and I love that band. I thought they were great. So to me, this is a huge pleasure. Just wonderful. It really is. All right. So let's get big to horn. That was the name of the Seattle band. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it's just fun because, you know, if I have a chance this year, I'm going to see Chilliwack with foreigner and then I'll go see foreigner with Weissnick. And of course, Jason Bonham, it's like musical Nirvana for me. It's going to be beautiful. Isn't, um, isn't it great? I mean, I love I love the fact that we're all out here still doing it. And that just it's wonderful. Well, in fact, rock music has a power that just doesn't let go. You know, it really does. You know, let me let me ask you about that. Uh, I wasn't planning on it, but since you mentioned it, that you're still doing this. A lot of farewell tours have been announced this year, from Elton John to Leonard Skinner to you know all these farewell tours are coming up. Uh, I had this chat with Frankie Benelli the other day, of course, of Quiet Riot. We really are sort of down to the last sort of 10 years of, of classic rock, right? I mean, we, you know, Alice Cooper is 70. Is he going to be doing this when he's 80? Probably not. Um, 
Although, right, I never know. Well, I mean, that guy just doesn't age. <laughs> right. Well, if there's one guy that's going to be doing it at 80, it probably would be Alice. But I mean, are you starting to get that that sort of you know midlife crisis where we're going? Yeah, that it's we're into this final countdown, or is foreigner and 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 you not thinking about that? You know, do you see yourself doing this for another 25 years, or? Does the words well not twenty five? Right. No, um, I you know honestly I don't know. Of course I think about it. You know I, I'd be inhuman if I didn't. And you know what the body aches and pains. You know that that becomes more prevalent as time goes on. The traveling gets tougher and all that. Um, but as long as I'm still in a great band that sounds good that delivers to the people, um, whoever that may be, uh, I'll probably keep doing this. I mean, I'd love to slow down. Uh, no question about that. I would love to slow down and do more studio stuff. That absolutely is true. I can't deny that. Um, but we'll see. The thing is right now, uh, you kind of got to strike while the iron's hot and the iron is hot for live music right now. So, um, and, and as, because that is the case, I don't mind it one bit. Uh, I don't see, you know, I don't see me ever retiring, to be honest with you. I think I'm, I mean, I may get off the road someday. That would be fine. Uh, but I don't see me retiring. I'm going to still keep making music and still keep doing things. So uh, no farewell tour for me. No farewell tour for you. And and I do want to talk about the off-road stuff. We'll, we'll get to last in line eventually, but um <laughs> you know, I, boy, I'm going to stick to Foreigner here because I, I want to talk Dawkins absolutely, but I'm going to stick to Foreigner for a second. Sure. Uh, Lou Graham yeah. came out and did a few shows with you. Came out and did some encores yes, and all. For for the fan base, it it excites the fan base, it, it, and it excites yeah. live music and and excited us too. <laughs> yeah, and and it was nice. Really it was fun. also nice to see sort of both versions of the band, everybody together. You know, with mm-hmm. with Kelly. Yeah. Uh, just talk to me about that experience because you well, know. we did two we did two shows in Michigan uh, a couple of months ago, and we recorded and filmed them. So you'll be seeing it. That, that'll be coming out later in the year, and it was just a wonderful celebration of foreigner music, and everybody was just in a great state. Everyone had a great attitude. Um, I mean, it was very idyllic. It really was. Um, Lou Graham is a wonderful human being. And that voice still to me, there are moments when it just raises the hairs on, my, on the back of my neck. And I think we all feel that way. So it was such a pleasure. The original guys are all great. They're all, I mean, they really are a talented, wonderful bunch of guys. Um, they're good people and they're great musicians. And, and those shows we did were very, very magical. I got to say it was very magical. Didn't really know what to expect. Uh, we kind of, you know, we were kind of just rolling the dice, but it ended up being great. Um, so, I mean, the fan side of me was excited. I was a foreigner fan, you know, I mean, I was, uh, a professional musician out playing when foreigner came out, but I was still a fan. And, uh, it, I, it was, it, for me, it was great to see. So, yeah, I mean, what a wonderful thing, what a great thing that we can do that. And then we can all kind of come together and the vibe was great. It was yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it was great. And, and of course, you know, we, we, we mentioned Alice Cooper before he also did that with, uh, Michael mm-hmm. Bruce and Neil Smith, and it's just great for the fans to be able to experience both bands the same night. The mm-hmm. same, it's just mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 the way it should be. You know, it sort of makes the world a better yeah. place. Uh, now, speaking about the world being a better place, Dawkins. 
got back together. Yeah. We've got this Return to the East live album coming out, which I've had mm-hmm. a chance to hear. I've had it in advance. Uh, you've got George. You've got you. Uh, talk to me about getting back in there and doing those songs and just being those four guys again and 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 the package and because it, it's come out great. It really has the new song and the, those two acoustic songs that just sound great. What was that like for you? Because now you had Lou Graham revisit his past with with Foreigner. What was it like for you to revisit sort of your past with Dawkins? Well, it was. You know, didn't again, didn't wasn't really sure what to expect going in. Um, a little apprehensive, as I think we all were. Uh, but it ended up being great. We ended up. Uh, I think everybody just decided. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this. Um, the fact that here it is, 30 years later, and somebody, somebody being Japan mostly, but you know, people want to see this. Gotta love that. And and I think everyone kind of came in with a sort of a humble appreciation of what we had. And, um, as a result, the vibe was the best it's ever been really. I mean, there was, there was a period on the back of the attack tour where we were really getting along great and really enjoying it. And then of course we broke up, (laughs) but, um, but it kind of reminded me of that where we all just kind of settled into a nice place. Um, and everybody had fun. I mean, the first day that we got together, um, you know, we, we met at the hotel bar that of where we were staying in South Dakota. And the first thing, George walks up to Don, he goes, come on. And they give each other a big hug. And then the two of them walk off to the corner of the bar by themselves for two and a half hours, just sitting there talking. It was unbelievable. I've never, I'd never, I'd never even seen that 30 years ago. Um, And it was just really fun. And we, and consequently the whole tour ended up being a pretty pleasant vibe with a lot of laughs. We didn't, you know, dredge up the past and all the ugliness and, and we had fun and we enjoyed ourselves. And, um, I think that energy comes across on, on the CD and I'm, I'm just, and, and the DVD and I'm, I'm just really happy. What was it like for you getting back playing songs like breaking the chains and into the fire and dream warriors? Is it like muscle memory and it just sort of popped right back yeah. in? Okay. You didn't have to spend pretty quick, pretty okay. quick. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I had to think at first, you know, but I mean, I ran through the stuff at home a little bit to just kind of brush up and, and I, you know, most of it came back right away. Um, uh, it was, you know, it was more, it was, it was, it was kind of a, a tricky thing, you know, getting back into the whole singing some of that stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of tricky singing in that stuff. Um, and playing the pedals and all that other stuff, you know, it was, it was kind of, that whole thing was, was really fun getting back, but sure. It came back quick. Of course it did. And the new track, it's another day. Uh, talk to me about how that came about. Was this one of these tracks that's been lying around for 20 years and you said, okay, let's dust no, it off? No, not okay. at all. Okay. No, no. George and I got together. Um, I, I couldn't tell you exactly when, other than I know it was well before we knew, we knew, we knew we had this thing coming, but we didn't know, you know, the talk was when we first started planning this in the spring of 16, the talk was let's do a new song. And, and the, the, the talk was let's do a new song live and, and record it live. Well, we got to, um, is, so it was a few months before all that came down and George came over and we, we did the music and it came out great. Uh, and we were really excited by it. Um, and we sent it around to Don and Mick and, you know, as it worked out, it didn't get finished before we went to Japan and everything. So we didn't, we didn't plan on doing it live. And, and actually I'm glad we didn't. I'm, I prefer having a studio version of a new song anyways. Um, so anyways, then when we came back, um, you know, John mentioned, he goes, you know, I love this, but 
it's got to be a lot faster. And so we tried it like a lot faster, quite a bit faster. And uh, it worked great. And both George and I were like, yep, you're right. This is the thing to do. Uh, so we, we got it faster, came out great. Mick came out, put the drums on it. Um, and then Don came out in a very quick but magical session. He was only in the studio for a couple hours, but we got an amazing vocal. I mean, he was pretty prepared when he came. I mean, it's funny. He didn't have anything written down, but he remembered most of it in his head, which is very unusual. Um, but uh, so, you know, we just I kind of we bounced ideas off of each other and the vocal came together very quickly. Um, and then he left and I, I put the harmonies on and boom, it was done. It was, it was really one of the more magical doc, doc and sessions I can ever remember all time, honestly. Yeah, no, and, and it's a great track. I've had, I've had a chance to hear the whole thing. Uh, George has recently said that he would like to see more classic doc and shows in 2019. Is that something that you're hoping for too? And I, and I think we have to be realistic yeah. with the fans. We're not talking about 45 dates and booking three months. No, but, no, you know, no, no. But would you like to see one or two or, you know, I would, I would love to see festival the right dates. thing happen. Sure. Of course. I would love to, um, you know, of course the obstruction has always been the schedules and my foreigner schedule is really intense and kind of never lets up. So it is hard to schedule dates. Um, but yes, of course I'd love to see more of it. I mean, it's a great thing. And, uh, I mean, I'm really appreciative of Doc and, and the fact that people still want to hear it this, you know, this far into our lives is pretty flattering and it, uh, it kind of makes you think twice. So yeah, I'd love to see some more. We'll see. Um, I hope so. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I hope so too. And then of course you do have that other project with George, uh, super stroke. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited about that. Wow. That's coming out amazing. Yeah. Um, we have, we have yeah. 11 songs written already. Um, seven of them have vocals and Robert is sounding like a God. <laughs> well, he, he, <laughs> Robert's a vocal God. Said, I mean, he's amazing. He is. He's, uh, he is, um, he is phenomenal. I mean, he's got everything. He's got absolutely everything that range, the tone, the soul. I mean, it's pretty phenomenal. And wait till you hear him on this. There's some really, really cool stuff. Um, so like I say, we're seven vocals deep. We've got, uh, George and I have written 11 pieces of music. So there's four more to finish up with vocals, but it's just coming out amazing. And uh, that should be out in early 2019. Musically though, because, you know, the joke was, well, it's docking without, uh, without Don, but is it is it sort of a rock <laughs> album or, or or are you using some of the lynch mob and some of the foreigner influences or are you just saying hey we're free to do what we want because this is a new thing so where are we sort of doing musically well musically it's there is a bit of docking in there but um i think it's probably it it kind of it reminds me of docking and lynch mob kind of morphed together a bit um although there is there is quite a bit of harmony stuff going on um I'm kind of <laughs> trying to stick that in there too. Um, so it, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's bluesy rock in, in the way that Lynch Mob is groove rock kind of thing, but with, with some docking elements to it. And there's a few moments that get pretty kind of deep and interesting musically. I mean, we do make a couple of stretches, but overall it's, it's pretty much groove rock. And um, I, 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 I think foreigner, I mean, foreigner, well, foreigner fans might like it too, but docking and Lynch Mob fans are all going to like it. I think. Oh, that's great! I, I I really can't wait to to hear it, and and, and I mean no, wow. I mean I mean no disrespect to you and Jordan stuff, but to me the selling point is Robert because he's got such a great voice that he really yes. can he can take any material 
sound fantastic. And and of course, that, that right. doesn't mean I, I'm obviously excited to have your music and, and George and, and Mick on there. But but Robert, to me, that was the right choice in terms of vocalist. So kudos well, I, on. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I could. I couldn't agree more. And and if we ever do live shows, it would be frightening. So <laughs> and we I hope we do do some live shows that there's there's hopes that we do. Again, it's down to everybody's schedule. I mean, Warren isn't exactly, you know, sitting on their fence waiting to do things either. So <laughs> it's like it's hard to schedule stuff. But if we do, man, that band would be a force to be reckoned with. You know, the way everybody has their own different bands, I think you could play a festival just with all these four guys. I mean, you could have Warrant, Lynch Mob, Foreigner, Doc. You could, it could be an entire festival with just six different people. It sure would be convenient. <laughs> right? It would make the Save on it, hotel rooms. It would make the booking cheaper. Um, the other thing that I'm looking forward to here, and, and I'm glad to see this, is Foreigner with the 21st Century Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. Yeah. Yeah. That is going yeah. to be spectacular, and I haven't had a chance it to hear any music. So, talk talk to me. Let, let, give me the lowdown on this spectacular. thing. It's pretty spectacular. We um, we've got um, we uh, well last May we we spent a week in Lucerne, Switzerland, uh, and we rehearsed for a few days, and then did two shows with the 21st Century Orchestra and and choir, and it was put on by the city of Lucerne, so it was wonderful. The gentleman who puts it on, who kind of represents the city in this thing, also owns the hotel that we stayed at. He's a great guy. Um, we stayed at this lovely hotel in beautiful scenic Lucerne, Switzerland. It was just a magical event. And we spent hours every day working very, very hard. But we got two shows recorded that came out fantastic. And um, that's what the DVD and CD are. And it's, I, all I can tell you is it's just, it's, it's goosebump oriented stuff. I mean, there's, there's some musical moments that are just so beautiful on this thing. Um, and you know, once again, Mick Jones's music just stands the test of time and it stands the test of do whatever you do to it. As long as you do it well, it's going to make these songs even greater because they're great songs to begin with. So, um, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait for people to, to hear it, especially, I mean, the DVD is going to be great watching it and everything, but the sound of it is just so magnificent. It's got to be powerful. Uh, just quickly, mm -hmm. touch upon the arrangements. It, did, did the songs have to be totally rearranged, or does the orchestra mm -hmm. sort of just add a texture to the to what's already there, if you know what I mean? Well, there were moments when, when things were completely re rearranged, but as a rule, Mick wanted it to rock. He said, listen, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to water anything down. You know, it, I, I, you know, there's nothing worse than just taking these songs and softening them up with strings. He said, let's not do that. So it still kind of rocks. And some of the, you know, jamming solo sessions, sections, there isn't orchestra. And then other, other parts, there's like overtures and preludes where the orchestra and the choir do these really great, interesting things. So it's, it's like a rock show where these elements of orchestra happen that if anything, lift it rather than soften it. Um, so it's pretty damn cool. I mean, I got to say, Mick was very tasteful in how he applied the orchestra and the choir. And um, it's just a very, very cool thing. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm just staring at the track listing and I'm just going, yep, that's a winner. Yep, that's a winner. You know, that was yesterday, Star Rider, Double Vision. And it's just like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. bring it on, bring it on, bring yeah, it on. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Just, just uh, if you can compare and contrast Dawkins and Foreigner for me in the sense of longevity, sustainability, because what is it about these bands and bands that you've been involved with? Um, so just talk to me about these two bands and, and what gives them this staying power that, you know, it's been 30 years and it's been successful with member changes and fans just always have this interest. I guess the question is really, what makes a successful band? How how do you sustain success for 35 years in both cases? Well, I, I, I think it starts with, with timeless music. And, uh, you know, I mean, Foreigner, Foreigner, those are timeless songs. I mean, you know, plus they were you know big hits, which helps. Um, they were great recordings. They were great performances. Uh, the music resonated with people and stood the test of time. Dokken is on, on a similar, it is a, it's a similar principle only on not as mainstream or widespread a scale. Um, but you know what? We made some great music. Dokken did. We, we, you know, that stuff still holds up all these years later. Um, and that's really the secret. I mean, the secret is more powerful than the personalities. I mean, Don can go out and play as Dokken because there's great songs there and, and his voice. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Same with Foreigner. We don't, sometimes we show, we play with no original members because it's the music that's the legacy. And that's what people want to hear. Um, and that, that, to me, that's great. That's, that's what you're, you know, you're, you're trying to write timeless music. You know? So um, what a great compliment to, to Mick's legacy that, you know, he doesn't even have to be there and the songs are appreciated. Um, although having said that, he'll be there most of the time this year. Um, and you know, for, for all these like orchestral shows and for the summer tour and everything. Um, but it's really this, the testimony is the quality of the music. It really is. I mean, you know, there are certain bands like, you know, like Motley Crue, you have to weigh in their image. And that's why Motley Crue would have a hard time being Motley Crue without, you know, Nicky, Tommy, Vince, you know, I mean, that whole thing. Um, uh, they had great music too, but it was but, also but the, the personalities were you know, was very gonna... intertwined, the image. I was, was also very I was just, intertwined. Yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, I was also going to say that both bands have made great choices in the players that they've had come in. I mean, if you look at Doc and John Levin is an absolute uh, wonderful yeah. guitarist. I mean, he's just stunningly good. And then you look at Foreigner yeah. with you and Kelly Hansen, and I think if you pick any other voice than Kelly Hansen, it probably doesn't work. And I don't mean that to be probably disrespectful. not. Right. So, so not only are the songs timeless and 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 masterful, but the 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 music still resonates because the people that are delivering it are believable, and you can trust them. And you well, you know. yeah, I I do think that is part of it. You're right. Um, I mean, I think the actual quality of the music supersedes all of that, um, even with Foreigner. But but you're right. I mean, if we didn't give it 150% every night, I think it would get old quick. And if John Levin wasn't so good, that would get old quick. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a combination of a lot of elements. But again, I think it really starts with the music. And then, yeah, in both cases, you've got to find people that are dedicated to the vision and that don't trample all over the vision. And, you know, because we're all foreigner fans, I think we do a great job of interpreting this stuff as fans want to hear it because <laughs> we are. <laughs> but so, I just, um, it's just remarkable cool. for you to, I mean, you went from, you know, an arena act, shed act 
to an arena act shed act. I mean, you you've never had to step back and play to 50 people in a bar. It's 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 an incredible well, career. <laughs> well, sure. But but those were those were little off gigs that, you know, maybe war and peace or whatever. But this, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, just quickly here before we wrap up uh, last in line. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. had Heavy Crown come out. I guess it was 2015, if I remember correctly. Uh, Vivian Campbell, uh, Vinnie Apice, and all that. Uh, you're producing album number two. Where are we in that? Is that something that we'll see in 2018, or are they also sort of looking no, because, because of scheduling? It will, be, it, will, it will probably be 2019 as well, mostly because of Def Leppard's touring schedule. Correct. Because Last and I want to go out and do some live shows when the record comes out. So, so and Leopard's touring up till December. So, you probably won't see the Last and Line stuff till January. But having said that, we are eight songs deep vocally. Uh, Eleven songs have been recorded. Eleven, you know, basic tracks with everything. Um, And then so there's three more vocals left to go. uh, And it's absolutely incredible. It's it's such a magical record. I can't even begin to describe it. Uh, The quality of the music, the inspiration everybody's playing with. Um, the songs are just really good. And, and the band has developed to a point where they really have a sound about them now. Um, Phil Sasson, who is, you know, who's taken Jimmy's place, Jimmy who passed away, um, is just doing a phenomenal job. And they, they are just at their peak right now. Vivian is playing like you would, I mean, it's so great to hear him playing like this again. It's just wonderful. Vinny's, always great but Vinny too is at the peak of his powers it's just amazing so it's capturing a band at the absolute perfect time um and uh yeah like i say eight vocals deep 11 songs have been recorded so um gonna be probably january of 2019 and it's gonna be a monstrous record monstrous and i'm not exaggerating one iota when i say that it is a monstrous record yeah Uh, i can't wait for you to hear it it's it i mean i loved the first record i really did and i honestly honestly feel if anything this is even stronger and and it's it's nice to see vivian get back and i don't want to say to the to the heavy metal kind of thing because you know def leppard does a very uh, more melodic rock kind of thing. And it's just nice to see him unleashed. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, unleashed. Go, that's yeah, the word. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. Go for it. And he's, he's playing and his writing. He's just writing some amazing stuff. I mean, the music that they're coming up with on this record is just so great. Um, I, I can't wait for people to hear it. I mean, 2019 can't come soon enough for me to, as far as hearing that in the super stroke record. <laughs> I'm telling you, as a fan, it's it's great. You've you've got the last in line that you're going to throw at us. You've got Super Stroke that you're going to throw at us. Your the the White Snake tour with with Foreigner, the 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 White Snake show with Chilliwack. I mean, it's like I'm like a kid in the candy store. Uh, and so I'll finish with this because you know we'll, we'll we'll keep it to half an hour here. But uh, <laughs> you had you had Foreigner Forty, the the two the the um, greatest hit set that came out last year. There was some new songs on there. Uh, I don't want to live. Without you and give my life for love, which I still I, I love that stuff by the way, and and the fire still yeah, burns. Yeah, yeah, came out great. Um, yeah. Where are we in terms of new music with with foreigners? That's something that that's that's relevant. Is it needed? Is it purposeful? Is is it you know? Do you want to get Lou Graham in there and you know? I wouldn't say it's needed. Okay, but um, I would say that if it happens, it'd be welcome. What I don't see is a full album of new material. That was just too, I mean, the process to make the 
can't slow down record in 2009 just i mean it's just it was really hard to do with being because we're still on the road all the time and so i don't see us doing a full album of new material i think what we will do is in packages and in various things that we release there will be snippets and there will be new new bits here and there um i think that's what i think mick could could really deal with that you know, as opposed to dealing with a whole record, a whole record is just, it's too much in this day and age. It just is because we're on the road so much. Um, so yes, I think it'll happen. I don't know. There's no specific plans yet, but there are things we're talking about. Um, you know, flame still burns and, uh, you give my life for love kind of, we're like doing new, new song. Well, you give my life life for love was an absolute new song. So, um, kind of, we do like it when we get to infuse that new blood. That's always a good thing. Um, and, uh, so I, I think, uh, I think there will be some more of that. Like I say, just not sure when or how, but it'll happen at, at some point. Oh, I'd love to hear it. And uh, maybe you can just, uh, re-record the hurricane track. I'm on to you with, <laughs> with Forner, <laughs> right? With, with, with Kelly, cause that's such a great track, but I, I'll just say this as a fan, I would, even if you just re-record old songs and have like Kelly and Lude sort of duet on them or exchange, you know, choruses or not choruses. But, well, um, you know, essentially that's what the record that's going to be coming out at the end of this year is, which is where we we did, you know, um, when when the original band joined us for the two shows in Michigan and we recorded and filmed it. Uh, and that will be coming out later this year. And that's got uh, we did 10 songs. They did five songs. And then at the end. We did um, two songs together with everybody on stage, all 12 of us. We called it Super Foreigner. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and you get to hear that. And, and in fact, uh, Kelly, Kelly and Lou duet on three songs on the record. So it's, it's really phenomenal. And uh, I'm anxious for that to come out. So, so what you're talking about, uh, it, we're kind of doing that. It's coming, but in a, in a live setting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But I'm telling you, uh, for, for the next deluxe package of whatever greatest hits, I'm on to you. Just, just, I'm on to you. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a request. You are, huh? <laughs> it's a, yeah, that's right. It's a fan request. That song is so good, and it's got lost in the shuffle of, 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 the, of time. And it's like, oh, come on. Yeah, Some, somebody resurrect that song. I always, I always thought that was a great song, too. And, and you always know it because when my daughter was like two years old, she would walk around the house singing that. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's such a great hit. Uh, always, always a pleasure. And, and I, I could, of yeah, course, go too, on man. forever and always. Uh, I tweeted out that we were going to talk about Dio. We didn't talk about Dio, so we'll do that another time. But uh, just thank you. It's always a pleasure. And uh, Oh, me too. You know, I've heard the new uh, Dawkins album or, or the live album. I'm telling you, folks, you're going to be thrilled and stoked. It's in fine form. The new song is great. Um, yeah, it's well done. And that Foreigner Orchestral. Oh, I can't wait for the Foreigner Orchestral. That's bring it on. Come on. Yeah, me too. Me too. Lots of good stuff coming. Yep. Merci, monsieur. Perk up your ears. They got lots to deal with. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. And thank you for that, by the way. That, that's what makes me excited to have all this new music and all these shows. It's you keep delivering, you guys. So thank you for all the memories yeah. and all the music and, and the future memories and music. So thank well, you very thank much. You. Awesome. Merci, thank monsieur. You. Have a good one. All right, Mitch. You take care, and we will talk again soon. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. See you in Ottawa. Bye-bye. Cheers. Yes, you will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 